0: Father, thank you for Zach and Ali, Lord, and how much of a blessing they've been for this win in their life. God, carry them, Lord, wherever they go to be just. So I just realized uh, just before I came up that I had forgotten to change the, the overhead uh, projector there. It's not crumbs. So that way you understand that that's not where we're going this morning. That was last week. If you missed that, you can go to the sermon online and check it out. Um, I encourage you to do that. encourage others that may not be listening or may not come to church. um, Encourage them as well. Um, This uh, this sermon is going to be called Life-Giving Friends. Life-Giving Friends. I want you to look in Proverbs 18, chapter 18, verse 24. I want through this, I want you to begin to look at your life and ask this question, do you have a life-giving friend? I want you to ask a second question, that is, are you a life-giving friend? Oftentimes, what we look at is the idea of friendship, but we don't realize that there's different kinds of friendships and layers of friendships. And so being a life-giving friend is kind of the focus here and realize that you bring something into the world. If you are a life-giving friend and if you have a life-giving friend, you understand what I mean before I even get to this sermon. You, you know the importance and you know how they are covering for you. And so if you do not have a life-giving friend, I can't tell you you can just go out on the market and go find one today. Like you just go walk out on the street, you'll find one. But what I should say is this. It's really important at this point in life that you start praying, not just be out of the point of necessity, but you start point, praying out of the point of the focus of the glory of God. Lord, I need a life-giving friend in my life for your glory. Yes. I need it for my own spiritual health. I need it for my own hope. But I need it for your glory because, you know, all of us have a different layer and interest for having people in our life. But until we get to the place that our center interest is really for the glory of God. And that of course, that goes beyond the fact whether we prayed it or not. It really goes into this is the heart of my heart here. And so I want you to look here again in Proverbs 18. We'll read this in verse 24. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. Imagine that. But there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I I like how it says, but, because I think it's saying that there is a friend, but this is a different kind of friend. So let's pray. Father, I want to thank you today because you really have elevated us and you want to lift us up. And I believe that as we step into your purpose for our life, oh God, as you're looking over not only this congregation, but Lord, you look over our community and you see the point of need. And, Lord, people are being stripped because relationships are about self. Relationships are about what I want out of this relationship. And, Lord, and then when we go a little bit step further, we think about relationships as about what somebody else wants. But, Lord, where we really need it is where, what you want. What do you want in our relationships? And how can these relationships develop and work around the will of God and the plan of God for our lives, Lord, mutually and together? And Lord, as we begin to discover this, I pray that Lord, this would be a moment, Lord, that redefines us, Lord, all over this place. You already know who have friends that are this that stick closer than a brother, Lord. Those that are mean more to us than just our blood relationships. These are friends that carry us through life. These are friends that carry us to the throne of God. These are friends who love us deeply and have shown it, Lord, by their consistency and their commitment, even at our worst. God, I pray that you would develop in us. Lord, would you put people in our lives that will be these kinds of friends and make us these kinds of people ourselves, Lord, we understand their value and importance because we know, Lord, Lord, that there are stages in our life we can literally say we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. And we mean to say for that physical person, that human being that has been there in those moments when we were struggling to meet you face to face. And we needed a physical example of Jesus in front of us. Lord, for so many reasons, we need these friends. And God, I'm praying that you will move beyond this message and make it a reality for us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, I am so charged with this. You know, I was so grateful to see the men come together yesterday and see so many guys. And I thought to myself, I think men need these kinds of friends men need life-giving friends we are in all kinds of fears of life but when it comes down to it i think men feel like there's two things that are the obligations of life work and family and after you get to that they don't have they may have life-giving friends but they're so separated from them because they don't have time to get those friendships and so into those relationships and ladies if this is your man be finding a way to get him to be with other men. Encourage it. You know, one thing my wife and I are developing, and I would say, you know, on, on top of spiritual disciplines, reading your Bible and praying, here's one good thing you can do in life make a calendar. Now, this is too late for me in life to be saying this, but I have a calendar that gives me reminders constantly, a shared calendar that I'm developing with my wife, and it's becoming less and less. I think it's becoming less and less. You'll have to check with her to make sure. But between the two of us that we say I said and the other one says I didn't get that one. I don't remember that in the conversation. And having it on a calendar, I can look at what her schedule looks like. She can look at my schedule. We can collaborate together and be more unified in our relationship. I can't tell you how much this means to me. And the more I develop and mature and get better at a calendar, the more I realize I'm becoming a better steward of my time. And I have spent so much time wasted saying I forgot. Oh, yeah, I need to remember my brain just racked with the things that need to be done simply because I wasn't good at putting those on the calendar. So that having been said, I'm going to say develop a calendar because this is the place where it's crucial. Your time is going to be well spent when men have time with their friends, women, you as well, with your friends. I know some families here in this church that are developing that. I know some of you, I've heard you share that, that men, you're saying to your wives, I want you to have time alone, time away from the kids. If you don't have kids, just time so that you can have with the ladies of your life. And I hear some ladies that are doing the same thing for their men. My wife has been encouraging me and I haven't been good at doing it, But she says, what about you? What about you? And I've been spending some time with men, but there's been some of those one-on-one times that I need. And and I want to say my Tuesday, I have um, another brother that I meet with, just him and I on those days. And and that relationship is getting better and better because of it. If you want good relationships, listen to me right now. You know, I haven't got started on my notes, to be honest. But if you want good relationships, listen to this. Make it one-on-one. Make it one-on-one. You have to find time to have one-on-one with people. You get closer together. You find about things. This is the best question you can probably ask. You ask them the question, how are you doing? And look them in the eye and get a good answer. See, this is the thing. When you're on the one-on-one, the challenge is one-on-one because then they're going to answer honestly. When we're in a group setting, when we have something going on like we are right now, we don't usually answer that question honestly because it takes time. Listen to me. Relationships, important relationships, take time. Now I'm an introvert by nature, so it's easy for me to have that idea that when um, when I have somebody on the phone or I'm going to spend time with somebody, everybody else is a distraction to it. Just let me go and and be quiet with them, me and them alone, and you will be amazed at what God develops in that. See, introverts were made for close relationships. Yeah. They were designed for close relationships. I believe everybody was ultimately. But the reason I say that is because we have a struggle with the crowd but you give me that one person that I can connect with and I will spend hours and hours with them and it's easy to. It's not hard. So for those of you who are feeling like you're underdeveloped and misunderstood and um, I'm an introvert and I don't like people, I don't believe it at all. I believe you like very close relationships and you'll You will not settle for anything less in your life. So I want to look at this, maturing relationships. So when I think of life-giving relationships, I think of maturing relationships. So listen to me carefully. Not just encouraging and uplifting. We need that. We need uplifting and encouraging, but we also need challenging and provoking. We need both of these together. This is what makes healthy relationships, life-giving relationships. A life-giving people help us move forward by way of the gospel. Just remember that because they will encourage you and challenge you, but will they challenge you and encourage you in the word of God? Some of us know so little about our Bibles. We read it so very infrequent and we don't study it and make it a practice in life. I was just listening to um, Joseph this morning in our prayer time. Thank you, brother. And I heard scripture after scripture after scripture in prayer. And I love to hear Men of the Word, women of the Word, you are such a refreshing to the, the body of Christ. Wherever you go, you are a blessing. And I love to hear it in prayer and we need it. So remember, we need you to speak into our lives according to the Word of God. Romans chapter 1 verse 16, he says, this is Paul speaking. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Paul had now separated his entire life for this gospel. This man surrendered everything to it. And now we have a Bible. that's God's inspired word. And his very words were God's inspired words to our heart. I'll tell you what, if he's saying he's not ashamed of the gospel, let's be on crew with that man. Let's be on crew with those that feel the same way. Also, I want you to look in John chapter 14, verse 6. Go ahead and go there. John chapter 14, verse 6. Praise the Lord. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So two of these pieces, Paul saying... The gospel is important. Jesus said the gospel. Now, he didn't say the gospel in here, did he? Why? Because he was the gospel. <laughs> he is the focus. So he's like, when I'm pointing to myself, I'm pointing to the gospel. So we remember it's a living, abiding relationship and union with Jesus Christ. It's not a redefining him. It's not getting a Jesus that makes and appeals to your interest. It's finding the one who he says he is and learning to make life all about him. So we have this piece And so we want to encourage one another with the gospel and who Jesus is. So that's in every frame of life. Every piece of your life needs a point of encouragement and also needs a challenge. I want to share with you why these these two things are really important. Encouragement feeds the right motive. Man, if you want somebody to get on track with something, you want the motive that drives it, you want to make sure that there's encouragement to go with it. Man, I can tell you, I've watched guys flourish. And I've watched them fall when it came to they were on the job and you gave them affirmation. You told them they were doing an amazing job. You didn't lie about it. You actually picked a real thing that was really good. Of course, there was things that weren't good, but you still picked the right thing. And you saw those guys get up behind you and go for it. And then you saw others where they were under the taskmaster as somebody who could never find anything good enough about what they did. And you saw them... all you had to do was wait until they were away from so-and-so and and you could hear exactly what they thought of so-and-so. And it didn't take long before you realized that that lack of encouragement not only changed their attitude toward what they do, but this is the big one, the attitude toward the person who's asking them to do it. So we can all, in all of our walks of life, realize how important and essential the role of encouragement is in everything we do. And you can't take it for granted. And it is one of the most spiritual things that you can learn. You know, it's funny because it doesn't talk about in the fruits of the Spirit encouragement. But I'm going to guarantee you, if you have all the fruits of the Spirit, you're going to be an encourager along the way. Um, Barnabas was one of those who was a son of consolation or encouragement. And um, I believe he holds a very true place in our hearts when we read the Bible. The next one is challenging friends. They motivate us toward maturity. Both are equally important. And why I say that is because you and I both know that left to ourselves, we, we are scarce to challenge ourselves on the level that we need it the most. See, we're, we're very quick to practice the things that are comfortable, that we're willing to go for, and then we are slow and slight at hand when it comes to challenging and walking and challenging for ourselves. So that what we need is people who will challenge us. But the problem is both of these all by themselves lead to something and we have to be careful. So encouragement, we need it to take us somewhere. We don't just need encouragement. We need it that drives us toward a deeper purpose. Something that is taking us closer to God, closer to one another. Encouragement that actually matures us, not just comforts us. You should be writing that one down. Encouragement that matures us, not just comforts us. The danger of encouragement by itself is that it is—it has a potential to make us entitled monsters that cannot be corrected or made better. That's what we run into. You just constantly—I I just encourage, 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 encourage. But that what happens is, is that if I can only receive encouragement, not challenge, then I'm become a, a monster in the area of correction. So then you can probably guess why challenge is so important. So challenge, let's look at this one more time. Um, Okay, so I want to say this about encouragement. It's not about feeling good about yourself. It's less about that. Now, that's a piece to encouragement. But the reality is, it's more about giving hope. The reason I'm giving encouragement is because I want you to have hope. This This may be outside of yourself. As a matter of fact, a lot of areas of encouragement... That are so essential to life actually tell us the bad thing about ourselves, but they give us the hope of moving forward in the knowledge of what needs to change. So help me see where I'm failing and give me direction with that, and that's the encouragement I need. The last thing I need is for you to tell me all is well while I'm about ready to step off the cliff. Oh my goodness, why in the world? And so we're missing the real mark of encouragement. And I would just say correct that. If you're seeing that in yourself, take some time to correct it. Give them a sense of feeling good about themselves if that's within the right mark. But oftentimes the, the real issue is, I don't need better feeling about me. I need hope for where I'm going. and Then I'll feel better about me. Challenges the fertilizer for growth. I want to share this this story. When I was in in uh, high school, was it high school? I was uh, taking a Spanish class. It was just the first level of Spanish, and I still know a little bit, but not very much. And uh, so, Joseph, I'm going to get with you after service, and we're going to get a little bit more Spanish going on. <laughs> but I remember I was I thought I was doing so great in the class. I was like I'm whizzing everything, and all of a sudden, I look at fi- one of my final grade reports. Not at the end of class, but kind of in the middle of it, and I was like getting a B. I was like, what in the world am I getting a B for? Now, you got to understand, I had my mindset to get an A in class. I just wanted to get as good as possible. My intention was to do 100%. I knew that I wouldn't for most cases, but I knew that if I set my goal for the highest, I wouldn't fall short of my goal. And so this bee disturbed me. And what I found out was this. I didn't want to get up in front of the class. And what they did was they'd either write something in Spanish and you had to write it in English, or they would write it in English and you had to write it in Spanish. I didn't really have an issue with that. I had a problem with wanting to get up in front of the class and do it while they were watching me. You're like, and you're the preacher. Yeah, I know, right? So... For me, when I discovered that, it would, be, it brought a challenge. And the teacher said, I said, why? And she said, because you're not getting up in front of the class and doing the translations there. And so um, it was a challenge because I didn't want to do it, but I knew I needed to do it. And I started doing it, and it improved. I don't know that it improved my Spanish a whole lot. I remember it improved the outlook of the class on me. Some of them thought I was brilliant or really smart. And the reason why is because I realized in order to take that B back up to an A, I had to get up in front of the class a whole lot more because I'd been missing my opportunities. So I needed to get up there now. And so the reason I'm saying that is because I want you to realize that sometimes God says you've got to be when it comes to relationship with me. And the reason why is because you're afraid to get in front of that thing that's actually in the way of getting closer to God. Sometimes it's not your prayer life. Sometimes it's not your Bible time. Sometimes it's not the interpretation of what you have in Bible time, but there is one central piece of your life that you're holding on to. And you know you need to let it go or give it to God in one way or another. And until you meet God face-to-face with that challenge, you're going to find a stunted growth that's going to give you that feeling like, I feel like I'm doing okay, but I still don't have an A. And I want to pray and promote the glory of God and above-average students in the class of this church. I want to believe that everybody in this place is willing to walk with God and go to that next level with Him. We have some friends that we share, and we just it's a joke of ours, but we talk about are we at that level yet? and what we mean by that is simply this: Have you gone to the next place of vulnerability with those you really trust and love in your life, and I'm stepping up and I'm like. So we have these times where this story shows up and we're like, "Nope, not at that level yet. I'm not ready to share that information. But the reality is the deeper you go with people, people, the more of your life is going to be less hidden. I know some of you want to write that one down. The more of your life is going to be less hidden. There's a point in our life where we realize the hiddenness is actually creating damage for more than one reason. And part of the reason for hiddenness is because we don't trust you with my information. That's number one. Number two is is that I have information about my life that will make our relationships deeper, and I don't feel free to share that. That's breaking us down. And there should be no place but the body of Christ that's more liberal and open in these areas than that. So the danger of challenge by itself is that it has the potential to make us legalistic, and self-righteous. If you just push a person and challenge and challenge and challenge them, and that's all you ever do, what it feels like on our end is if I don't meet your demand at your timing the way you feel that I ought to, then I am going to try and impress you rather than submit to God. And you and I both know that it takes a little bit more time to get to the place where we're truly fully, wholeheartedly surrendered to God. And that's what we need to give one another, is that time and space to surrender to God. I am not wanting you to impress me. Don't you dare try and do it just because James would be happy about it, or mom and dad, or whoever. I want you to buy into it. I want it to be real for you. And what I'm looking for are the evidences that show that's real. So if all I do is challenge and challenge and challenge and try and get the most productiveness out of you, I make you a legalist. Legalistic. You don't find grace in Jesus Christ that elevates you above your human nature. You're just meeting me at the challenge place. So the only point that we're really challenging is a place where we begin to discern that you are now coming forward with an area of your life that God is exposing and you're convicted about. And I'm challenging you to not let go of that. Challenge is about finding that point of conflict. Man, I do that. I realize that's part of that close friendship is because we're going to ask you what we call the hard questions. And you don't go up to a stranger and ask him the hard questions and expect him to say, oh yeah, I'm going to, yep, whatever. You know, They're not going to tell you the information because they're a stranger to you. You have to become interconnected and deeply connected with somebody in order to be able to ask them deeper questions. Now, I realize as a pastor, people will come to me in a ministry mindset and say, I'm struggling. And when the struggle gets deep enough, we're willing to go to anybody. Let's remember, you want to be the one they go to. So we want to find that point of conflict. Why? Not because I want dirt on you, because I know that that's the place where God reconciles. That's where the redemptive work and the 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 beauty of what Jesus is, that personal relationship with him is all about, is that Jesus is healing more areas. Jesus is getting on a deeper level with you. And in order for you to go where you need to go, I have to be faithful to you to just find out where's that point of conflict. So again, we go back to that Proverbs 18, verse 24. A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I'm going to give you one more. John chapter 15. Look at John chapter 15, verse 13 through 15. How many of you are enjoying this right now? I really am. Amen. I saw a couple hands. Does that mean that the lefty rest of you left them down? <laughs> See, I don't believe the folks that don't put their hands up. I know you wanted to do it. John 15, verses 13 through 15. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends. Listen to what Jesus, how Jesus is responding to them. If you do whatever I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known unto you. Just capture that last piece. He says, I'm taking... Everything that I know from my Father, and I am making it known to you, you're at that level. You get it? You're at that level. I love what God said to Abraham. This wasn't in my notes, but I'm going to give it to you. God said to Abraham, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing that I am about to do? Abraham was on that level with God. See this is the thing if we want to get on the level with God we have to have a point where God can say I can share this and you're not going to spoil it. You're not going to ruin it because you got information. This is you're not gossiping information, you're not just haphazardly throwing it around, not casting pearls before swine. You really intend to hold on to it in its precious form. And this is the thing the word of God goes to the wayside because people aren't holding it with as a sacred reality for their life. So life-giving friends know that there is not a set growth rate. But what this is, the challenge is this, is to be that friend that wants to see somebody growing and knowing that they're holding back and still giving time and patience for that. We press, we encourage. We press, we encourage. And we step back and we give you room. You've got to have room to be able to grow. And you know what, truth is, some people will just latch on and go for it. Some people will be a little slower. I remember this when I was working for landscaping. One of the things that really intrigued me is to watch a new guy step on the scene. Some of them, they had this enthusiasm that would just, you, I just wanted to dive into. I love this guy, his enthusiasm. But then you watched him in practice, and it's like, you just don't get it. I, I'm teaching, I'm training, but it's not, you're not capturing what I'm training. And what I realized is I can't drive a guy that's not capturing it, that's not getting it. I have to give time and space for him to develop. So here we have the demand of the job. Let's get it done. Let's get some efficiency and money made. And I am grateful in those moments that I am not the boss. Because you're going to lose money with me. But you're going to eventually you're going to probably gain it. And the reason why is when that guy gets it, he's going to be really good. And what number, one of two things happen is we lose patience with people who don't get it. And what happens is we just remove them from the job rather than do more work with them more patiently and carefully to help them get there. Now, you know what? With landscaping, it may not matter that much. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, it matters a lot. It matters big time. And if what we got is this mentality, this Western culture mentality, we need large church services, and get as many people packed in as possible, and give them a sermon, get them to the altar, and boom it's over with, you've missed it. Because the reality is those same people are in need for a new life, and they're just on the cusp of what that really looks like, and they need somebody to spend some time with them, and do some physical training, and it takes time to develop moral and godly character within them. So life-giving friends know that there's not a growth rate. At the same rate, it means you can go faster or you can go slower. It's essential to know that we are seeing the gospel generated changes and fruit. And I am going to so emphasize that. Make sure it's not outward production. Just get the job done. We get the job done, go in and pray, and you're like, wait a second. You got stress on your life, and I see it. You got stress behind your prayers. Let's talk about that for a little while. You know, let's stop praying for a minute and let's listen to what's going on in your life. Let's find out more about you. Let's care about you. So there's, there's this generated gospel and it's like you see people and they just feel like they got to produce this fruit on their own. I'm just going to be better. I'm going to be better at home. I'm going to be better at the way I talk to my spouse. I'm going to be better with my kids. I'm going to be better with that employer that's driving me crazy and I just can't stand it. And you come to that place where you realize there's this cutoff point when it comes to the human nature. I just can't do it. I don't know why. I just can't push myself, even though everything in my conscience, everything about my moral character says I need to do better than I am. I'm still failing miserably. And we get this grasp in our life and we begin to teach you. This is about beginning to see what's Jesus, how Jesus actually comes into the picture and what it means to let Jesus on your boat right here, right? I want Him on my boat. I want him to do the fishing for me. I want him to say, throw out the net. And I want to see what happens when he gets on the boat, right? So we want to share with people and help them see the gospel. I've actually had a few people share with me. I don't think I'm worthy. And I'm like, why don't you feel worthy? Well, because of all the things that I've done in my life. And that's just an opportunity to begin to share with them. You know, you'd never please God by making everything perfect. Because one, you and I both know you'll never get there. Number two, I want to share something with you. Jesus Christ took that blame on His cross. Would you just trust that? Do you believe that God would actually seal the deal for you because you actually believe that what Jesus did is good enough for you? But at the same time, you know what you're going to have to face? You're going to have to face all the accusing thoughts of the past. And you're going to have to resubmit every single one of those back to the blood and the cross of Jesus Christ until you know that you know that you know that the only freedom that you'll ever have is because Jesus died and gave Himself up for you, and you let go of the mindset that I can do this on my own, or that my past still makes me a guilty party. That's the beauty of the gospel. And somehow we've got to get that in their lives. They're like, man, you're still a challenge. You still keep buying into that. You still keep going to there. You know why? You know why they go there? Because they got somebody in their life that keeps driving them back there. And they need you to be the other person that drives them back the other way. Eventually the gospel will get in, hopefully we pray. Again, uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also to the Greek. Isn't that a powerful way to bring that out is that's how this that's why he says this is I'm not ashamed of this because when you look at the human lives, when you see what's going on in our world, The gospel is the factor that we're holding on to. And even though we look at a mass population of people that are unchanged, unmoved, and unregenerated, this gospel is still the power to regenerate them. Even though they might be blind to it, they don't get it, it doesn't come near to them, eventually, when you take somebody whose mass produced darkness in their life because of what the devil has done, you realize that one day they're going to meet with the reality of who Jesus is. And when they do... When they do, when you've desperately prayed for them and you've sought God and you've ministered to them, one day that dawning reality is going to be there. The Holy Spirit is going to highlight for them the thing that they can't see on their own. And when they do, they're going to see the power of Jesus Christ. And they will never be the same again. Never, ever be the same again. And all I would pray is that a few more Christians would get back under the blood and get a little bit more purity in their lives because the moment you discovered the gospel when you first became a Christian everything was new and then we get a little starchy because we've become a Christian for too long and we forgot that same blood that cleansed us in the beginning is the same blood that washes us right now and you're like Lord I'm struggling he knows it he knows it but he still wants you to come to him and we still what we've done is we applied the blood at the initiation of our life with Jesus and we quit applying the blood after we got initiated And you know, I'm not talking about just doing it verbally. I'm saying there's something where the Holy Spirit's continually revealing it to your spirit. So I want to explain a little bit what I think the gospel is, because I think sometimes we miss this piece. What's the process of the gospel? I think it starts with realizing a false belief or an idea that one holds to and lives by. There's a false belief and an idea that I hold to and I live by. It's my principle and my practice. Now, we live by certain ideas and thoughts, and one thing I'm discovering is most of us actually just act out in life. There is a belief behind it. We just never take time to think about, why do I do that? Why is that that thing going on in my life? And we don't think about what's the belief that's impacting it. But there is a belief behind it, and if you discovered the belief, you'd probably say, wow, I I didn't believe I believed that, right? But I think that's the piece to the puzzle for both Christian and non-Christian is the belief that we're holding on to and living by. The second piece to this is then the conviction that I am firmly convinced that it is a false belief. There's a there's a convincing that I've got something that I've been holding on to that I didn't see now, but I, I didn't see before, but I now see. And so there's this process of discovery, as it were, and so we're talking about the gospel because the gospel is the saving grace but it's also the work of God to get you to the place where you can be saved by that grace. And then we have the point at which we begin to understand the truth of God in contrast and in conflict with that belief. Now we're being confronted with an opposite and we need now we're being challenged by these two thoughts. I've believed this and this is where my behavior and my life is locked into. I've been married to this But this is a whole new, I'm not sure what I think about, I believe this. Wait a second, I think this is more true than this. And there's this transfer of mind and thought and this convincing that the Holy Spirit helps bring you to, not just reading it, but thinking about it, analyzing it, um, meditating on it. And there it becomes more and more real as the Holy Spirit is taking your mind as you're drawn to, and he's elevating and bringing those truths and making them alive. Then we come to another final place, and that is finally we come, once we believe this enough, we believe it so strongly that finally it is when we fully rejected the false belief, both in principle and in practice, and then fully yielded to the truth of God, both in principle and practice. And this is where the Holy Spirit is doing His renewing on the inside at the same time. There's a renewing of God inside of me, and I feel a life of God in. And so God is instrumentally at work in all of these places. It's not you doing it. It's you participating in it and, and cooperating with God in it. But the reality is this is what God is doing all through and getting you prepared and getting you adjusted to the place where the gospel can have its powerful effect on your heart. And this is something that is not generated by human power. It is not... And from the beginning to the end, like I said, it's the illumination that Jesus does and draws in our hearts. That is what we mean by the gospel. That's what I mean by the gospel. I'm sure there's more I could give in definition for it. But when I think of it, there's that drawing work that God does graciously to lead us to a place of repentance, surrender, and the reality of who He is. There's a revelation of Christ in it. Friends that stick by your side who encourage and challenge you in this direction are life-giving. They're life-giving. Only a few in my lifetime have I had these kinds of friends. Easy to be with. I want to share with you what I see as uniquely a part of those relationships. They're easy to be with. It's, it's like I, you can never spend enough time with them. These are those kinds of friends. They They know stuff. <laughs> They know stuff, and I we already kind of covered that. They're, they deposit in your life lasting memories. Lasting memories. And as I shared, I I, I think I could say this, they share big moments with you. They share big moments. I would say that the type of people that you're gonna say, if it wasn't for you, I would have. And we're talking about in the negative sense, they shared big moments with you. So we need the grace of time to see and discern our false beliefs. We need the grace of revelation uh, to see what God is saying and and that that they are false beliefs. And we need the contrast of God's truth along with it. We need the grace of complete clarity to give up one and yield to the other. God working in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So we need these in our life, and we need friends that are very well-equipped to understand where you're at there. I see that conviction. I see you're not yielded, but I see that conviction. And they they have grasp, and they detect, and they understand where you're at. And the, the power of knowing how to work with God for you is a beautiful thing. So here we also want to, I just want to share this. Why do we need friends, uh, life-giving friends? I think you guys get it but I'm going to share a few with you. One is because we're too weak on our own. You know what's interesting is I think we're always trying to find a way to get strength from God. But really God's focus is to make us dependent. You know, the thing about it is is once you get strong, what do you do? What happens? We quit being dependent. So I have, I I this question, I want to pose this question. Um are we ever really getting stronger? And what I mean by that is, are you ever really getting stronger? Have you ever gotten to the place in your human structure that you're actually better and stronger at what you couldn't do before? All on your own? Just take Jesus out, take the grace that He's put in there, Let Him just leave you alone for a day. Wouldn't you reduce back to the beginning stages with God? So I wonder if, because of that, we keep wanting strength for the moment, but the reality is is that God's keep forcing us in this direction of dependence. Just depend. And that's the reason why friends are so important. And we need not just a dependent on a friend, but we realize that because we're not trying to be stronger, we're just trying to be faithful, that there's a piece to that that friends are always going to be there for. And so here's a scripture for you in James chapter 5, verse 16. He says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The, effectual, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Notice the transaction point of being able to pray and see healing is this confess your faults one to another. And it's like it's saying, maximize on your weaknesses, maximize on your areas of failure. This is what we're, we're, we're really struggling desperately on. We hide the failure. We maximize on our strengths. And what we've done is created the self-justification in the way of the cross and this experiencing spiritual maturity. So flip it around. And, oh, man, you mean I can't tell my brother about my... No, you can't tell him. But the reality is once you get to the place where you can start talking about your weaknesses, then you'll see... Where the power of Christ is at work. Notice Paul talked about that he's he's now confirming that the cross is at work because of his weakness, not because of his strength, but because of his weakness. So when we become strong, we hold on. When we become strong, we hold on. We can use all the help we can get. Here's the next reason. I was I was thinking about something. The black. uh, So when you put a when you tug on something. So I tie something over to. Whatever, I'm going to say, we did this one time. This was an experiment with me and the boys. I tied a rope to the pickup, and I said, okay, boys, let's grab this rope, and we're going to pull on it together. And we just couldn't, like, we couldn't pull the, and it was a nice, solid rope, so it would have have done it. So what I did was I started making loops back and forth, and they actually call it block and tackle. And what you're doing is you're taking a rope, and you're sending it, like, through a pulley-like system multiple times, and every time you do it, you increase the strength but also the pull power without having to have more power yourself. And when you every loop creates more pull power. And so what you're doing is now, and we did this, we put a bunch of loops and then we, we pulled on it and it wasn't hard. I was able to by myself pull my pickup forward. Of course, I took it out of gear, but I pulled it forward just on that. And it just shows you there's pull power when you add another pulley. To this, So I want to tell you this, that the reason why we can use all the help we can get is because you are my other piece of this block and tackle. I am your piece to the block and tackle. And we're running through the same, with the same heart, the same mind, the unification of that is, I think, the power that God uses in the kingdom of God. So when you find yourself disjointed and broken with the family of God, you just lost your block and tackle. Go ahead, pull it on your own if you can. Try and figure out how to manage this. So that's, one, that's another reason. And they see things that you don't see. We need people in our life because they see things that we don't see. Lastly, I want to share just this before we get to our time at the altar. I want to share some habits that we get into in, that gets in the way of these relationships. You're going to hear these and you're going to go, oh yeah, that's true. Okay. Here's some habits that get in the way of. Focusing on accomplishments, not on people. you know, uh, my boys have come in a few times and I've had those times where it's like, I was supposed to get more done in an hour than I got done. And it really frustrates me that I didn't get more done. But the people that you were doing it with became a part of that frustration. And before we know it, we start letting out our air of frustration, not necessarily at the person, but they're in the atmosphere of it. And while they're in the atmosphere of our frustration, they feel degraded by the way we're talking even if it's not to them specifically. So we focus if we started focusing on people it wouldn't be about accomplishment it would be about people. And if anything's an accomplishment the an accomplishment of a closer relationship with folks. Here's another one. Not just making time for oh just not making time for or prioritizing people in our life. So if you go back to my calendar, one of the things that I said to my wife that I was going to do, I was going to say at the end of every week, I was going to talk to you about what would you like to see done, if there are projects or what's something important to you. And uh, I told her I'd do that. (laughs) Right? I told her I'd do it, right? But you go back and you're like, wait a second. I've got a lot of other things, but I skipped that one a few times. I need to go back to it. I'm reminded, you know. And uh, so... What I realized was this, there's an element in our lives where we don't prioritize the people that are important. Shouldn't my family be on my schedule as much as anybody else? And here's where I fell short. I fell short because uh-oh, I'm confessing my fault. Dang it. I had to go there, didn't I? We're at the next level. We're at the You guys just moved up a level, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> What I realized was my mentality was, I live with you every day. And so I'm going to get to you eventually. But you know that day doesn't come as quickly as you thought it would. And so I saw a new picture. Oh, Lord, that's my challenge there. So as I prioritize my family and I put them into my life, and I schedule them not because they're not important. I schedule them because they are important. You hear that? And so um, I want to, I if I can, I want to encourage you to do the exact same thing. I want to encourage, like you're like, I don't have those relationships. I'm in a different stage in life. Well, then prioritize the people that are important in your life. And if you would say to me, and I know you wouldn't, but if you said to me, Pastor, I don't have anybody that's, that I need to prioritize in my life. I'd say, you need to come to the altar the first time, you know, right now. You need to take some time before God because there's people in your life. You just have lost the value of those people. Um, But I don't think there's anybody in this place that I'm speaking to. That's why I could say it so boldly and plainly. (laughs) So here's here's another one. Letting the desire to rest. Believe me, we need it, but we overdo it. Get in the way of the desire to get together. I just want to rest. You know what? Take some time to rest. But don't make that your every excuse for missing opportunities to get together with people. Now, here's another one. This is going to hit some of you right at the heart, and I'm not afraid to do it. The convincing, no, the convenience of browsing social media rather than planning for social gatherings. You know, I had to think about that. You know why we don't have social gatherings like we used to? It's because our phones are so much more convenient. I get to know about your life. I get to know about, and, and you know what? I don't even have to listen to you talk for hours and tell me about it. I get to all the information that I need to know without listening to you. I think that's a piece to it. But there's another piece to it is that when we sit down and we just naturally just want to feel like resting, we wouldn't have something to do. And so we're taking time to browse through and have something to do. But what's the, in effect, what we're missing is that while you're taking time to do this, time is passing at the same time. And what you could be doing is spending time with them. We spend time with them. And what I want to say is this, and I want to say this very, very important. To I want you to listen to this. We've got TV preachers. that There are people that at times, they won't come to a church. They may not even come to my church because there's a better preacher out there than I am. And I have no problem admitting that. But I'll tell you what they will never do. They will never be at your doorstep when you're hurting. They will never be there to be the person you're praying for unless you can call and talk to them. They will never be a person or a presence in your life. And I don't give a care how anointed they are. The greatest anointing you will ever have is people that are there for you when you're hurting, when you need it the most. So listen to them, but listen to them with your heart focused elsewhere, please. Gather the anointing and the message of God's Word, but take it to a personal level with somebody. I am so tired of watching our churches die off because people are getting used to be fed through social media. I am content. You're dying spiritually and you don't even know it. You need people that will keep you accountable, that will support you, that will look you in the eye. You need that in your life. I need that in my life. And if there's nobody in here that needs it, I need it. And I am so grateful. I have had men in my life. Mike has been one of those guys in my life. Joseph has been one of those guys in my life. There have been multiple men in my life that have looked me in the eye. And they have said things to me that I needed to hear in that moment. I needed to unburden myself in that moment. I needed to say, I know I shouldn't be struggling with this, but I am. And they give me the the message that I need to hear. And most of the time, it's the encouragement of hope. Oh, man, I love you guys. I love you guys. What a refreshing in my life. And I just like, I can't imagine being robbed of that. And I have watched people in my life that I have loved that were faithful to me at one time. And now they're sitting at home watching ball games and they have no interaction with people anymore and their spiritual level just went like this. And it's like they flushed the whole thing. And I'm like, what happened to you? What happened to you? And I think what happened to them is they didn't realize how important people were in their life. I'm going to give you two more. Letting life just happen. I want to say this to you. I want to say it never just happens to go in the direction you need it to go. You just let life happen. It's never going to happen the way you want it or where you want it to go. So don't spend yourself your time thinking it's just going to happen or just letting life happen. And then that's just a habit. And lastly, this one. Always promising yourself that it will eventually happen. Do you understand? We get there, we've been there, but these are terrible habits. They're terrible habits that force us into a loss of deep and personal relationships that God intended for us to have. And we're talking about the miraculous, and we talk about the miraculous on a level of I want to feel better, I want to I want healing, and I think that's great. I'm not minimizing that. But what I'm saying is that it's very shallow to be praying for those kinds of miracles and not these kinds of miracles. It's so shallow. If you can if you can be healed of cancer, you can be healed of diabetes, you can be healed of all those things and you can still sit at home alone, I am so sorry. I am sorry that that's that's the best that you've gotten out of that healing. Lord, heal me so I can spend time with people. Heal me so that I can be a healing agent to them and a life giver to the people around me. Amen. I have enjoyed sharing this message with you guys. I hope that you've gotten a lot from it. This has just been wonderful. There's so much that's been in the notes and out of the notes at the same time. I want to give you an, an opportunity to respond to the Lord in in your way. I want you to spend to the Lord in your way. Um, and as we, I'm going to invite the worship team up. But here's what I want to share with you in our altar call time is this. I want you to think about this. Are you a life giving person? Are you a life giving friend? And do you have one? Because sometimes we need to empty ourselves of the things that keep us from being a life giving friend so that we can have one too. So I just want you to take some time before the Lord and answer that question. Are you a life-giving person? And those who you let... I also want you to ask yourself the question, those who you let go of and why? The people who are important in your life and you're not taking time for them. I want you to ask God that question. I want you to spend some time before the Lord with that. And lastly, the people you know who need a life-giving friend. So aside from yourself, do you know somebody who needs that? I want to give you an opportunity to come to the altar and spend some time before the Lord on all those questions or whatever's on your heart in the moment. Obviously, there's more to it. And I want you to take time as we sing just to let the Lord in. If if kneeling is difficult, you can stand. Um, But I want to give you an open invitation to spend time. This is where God does his work on you, right? So we want to give that opportunity. So ladies, please.